All right, we ready? Good morning, everybody. Crosspoint, my name is Justin. For those of you that don't know me, um, I'm really loud, sorry. We would just come together for a moment. We read uh, scripture together before we get started. So if you have your Bibles, you can join me in Revelation chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we have some under the chairs for you. Again, we're gonna be in Revelation chapter one. I'll give you guys just a second to get there. And we're gonna be starting in verse nine. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw the seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Thank you, guys. Thanks, High Justin. school. Let's high go, school. high you school. You guys can jot on out here. I need the mic right here. Yeah, thanks. So we've had... Uh, what, like climate change warnings on heat. We had a firestorm and a hurricane this week. So it's perfect week to start Revelation, right? <laughs> the end is here, man. Yeah. Today, what we're going to do is take a look and set a foundation uh, for what we're going to do in the weeks ahead here to give you a framework and a grid from which to approach Revelation. As we talk about Revelation, a lot of people I've been chatting with, different ones of you even this morning, are confused by it and scared of it, which is not the reason Jesus gave John this vision and why it's recorded for us. If all it does is create confusion and scare you to death, you're reading it wrong. We, 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 I'm, we're preaching it wrong. The speakers and the writers are, are communicating about it wrong. At the beginning of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 uh, before the events that happened there, it says uh, there in chapter one, verse one, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles every week and then bring a pen or a pencil or something like that to, to make notes in your Bible because there's some things you're gonna wanna remember and highlight there. It says this is a, first word there, revelation, not revelations, from Jesus Christ. It's not revelations of the end times, guys. It's not that. It's a revelation of and from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events which must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. That's an important one. We're going to see that over and over again in this book. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church and he blesses all who listen to its message and the most important thing here is and 
obey what it says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, which is today modern-day Turkey. Over the years, uh, people have, when we do a poll about what should we talk about next as far as our weekend services, the top one every time is let's do Revelation. And some of you have known me for a while. I even got a text from somebody saying, you said you would never do Revelation. And here's why I said I'd never do Revelation. We have guys in our church, a guy who's written a master's thesis on it at a university, at a major university. We have a guy who traveled all around the world with one of the leading experts in biblical prophecy and Revelation for many, many years. He's writing a book on Revelation right now. We have a guy in our church who has written a book on Revelation. There are stacks and stacks of books. I've probably got a stack of books like this high on my, in my office and on my Kindle of resources on it. And here's the crazy thing why I'm so nervous about it. First of all, at the end of Revelation, it says, it gives a warning. It says, hey, don't add to this or take away from it or God's going to get you. It's like, well, I don't sure I want God to get me. What if, I, what, if I, what if I screwed this thing up? And here's what I know too. The three guys at our church who have studied this and have written about this, all the books and commentaries I've read, godly people searching the scriptures diligently come to very different conclusions on some of the particular issues that Revelation raises. And so I'm thinking, well, if nobody can figure this thing out, what's the point of just going, well, I think this and I think that. I don't make two-thirds of you mad because they'll disagree with what, maybe what my viewpoint or something uh, might be. Uh, there's all kinds of books and speculation out there. I grew up in a church where we had the big chart up on the back wall of the church and the big, uh, the dispensations of the revelation and all the age of the church and all that, prophecy conferences. Back in my day, we had a movie called Thief in the Night. Anybody remember Thief in the Night? Some of you, they scared the snot out of you. They tried to do that. Uh, now, today, now it's the, the, the Left Behind series, the books and the movies and all that. Uh, about every 20, 25 years, it, it comes back up again as a major theme. Uh, a guy named G.K. Chesterton was a famous author and social commentator back around World War II times. And he, here's what he said about all the books and all the conferences, everything written about Revelation. He says, And though St. John saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you guys, some of you guys have heard some crazy weird stuff about Revelation. I have. I have probably said it and done it. And so part of me thinks, if they couldn't get it figured out, what are we doing here? And then it was probably a couple of years ago, on a chance listening to somebody at a conference or something, I heard this guy talk about Revelation in a way that I went, well, that's a different perspective in a way of looking at Revelation that I'd really ever heard before. And I did this crazy weird thing with Revelation. Instead of reading the books about it and listening to people speak about it, I actually, watch out for it, read it. <laughs> myself. And I tried to read it to say, how would somebody in the first century who knows nothing about Jesus, who walks into a church and they have this scroll there, how would they understand this? And how would somebody today who hasn't gone to all the conferences and seen the left behind stuff or thief in the night or all, all that stuff, if they've, got, if they've got no experience with this, what would they see and experience? Or I tried to do that with it, to approach it with fresh perspective. And it's impossible to do that completely. Nobody's ever objective about anything, but I really tried to do that here with this here. And it tells us in Revelation, what Justin just read for us, that uh, John said, I was on the island of Patmos, uh, exiled there. He says, and I heard a massive loud voice speaking to me. People tell me all the time that I talk too loud. I'm just I'm trying to be like Jesus. Because when Jesus shows up, Jesus talks loud. It's awesome. Uh, and he says, write and send this out to these seven churches. 
and then goes on to explain what it's going to be all about. And then there's a dedication. The first few verses are like a dedication, like a prologue or a preface to a book. We have created for you a trail guide to Revelation. It looks like this. It should be in all of your programs today. The bottom of it has a QR code that you can take a picture of. It'll take you to our website. But let's put the screenshot of that up there if you can, guys, up on the screen. This is to help you, guide you through Revelation so that you don't get lost off, off some cliff somewhere or out in some crazy, weird, la-la land place that it was never intended to get you to go. Here's a screenshot. These seven principles are there, but we also took some time to kind of unpack a little bit of what they mean and, and what the foundation, what the implications are for each one of these seven principles. Uh, the next, go down to the next one, guys. Uh, at the bottom of that little uh, website that you can scan to, if you're watching online with us today, you can also go to our website. There's a little link there on the messages tape uh, thing there. There's some uh, great resources there. The Bible Project video guys have these overview of Revelation they've done. Click on them. They're about six, seven minutes long. They're powerful, amazing, fantastic. And then he, these are not all the books I read. These are the best ones that I read. And just because I think they're the best doesn't mean they're the best for you. I'm just telling you what has influenced me profoundly uh, in the last couple of years as we've read through these. And so as we get into Revelation today, the first principle, it's on the number one on your trail guide here, it's also the first thing you're gonna write down today is we're gonna kind of unpack a foundation here of the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. But like they tell us in business and in family and in finances, start with why. If you keep why in mind, you won't get confused with all the details of who, what, when, where, and all of that. And here's why John gave, Jesus gave John this revelation and why John wrote it down for us. It's this. It's each week, it's to inspire faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of overwhelming persecution and temptation. Let's make sure, guys, on the, our tech team back there, we leave that long enough for people to see it and write it down so they can, they can catch, capture that. And this will be like a compass for you on this trail guide as we go on this journey the next few weeks, next, I think, 13 weeks of Revelation. It's very easy to get caught up in all the details of all kinds of stuff. And if there's nothing wrong with that, use this as the true north. That everything in Revelation is to inspire faithfulness to Jesus in the midst of a world filled with opposition, persecution, and crazy, overwhelming temptation. That's what it's all about. We, we know this. This is not just what I made up. This comes from actually Revelation. It, it tell, in Revelation uh, 13 and 14, the middle of the book, after John has seen visions of bulls and trumpets and crazy horses riding with all kinds of crazy plagues and difficulty, the beast out of the earth and the beast out of the sea and this crazy a dragon that's trying to kill this woman who just gave birth. It's, it's fantastic, grotesque imagery. And then he tells us twice in chapter 13, verse 10, he says, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. It doesn't mean go try to figure out who the beast is or what the mark of the beast might be or what this, whatever it might be. Don't, it means... The reason we have these visions is endure the persecution and remain faithful to Jesus. And just in case we missed it, John 14, verse 12, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. 
That's the true north of Revelation. If you, if you get lost in stuff and you sidetracked and all kinds of stuff, don't forget that. Now, uh, it also tells us at the beginning of Revelation, chapter one, verse three, I had you highlight some things there as we read through it. He said, the purpose of this book is to read it, but not to read it, but to listen to it and understand it. And most importantly is obey what it's telling us to do. It's not just to figure out what the end times are gonna be like. That's not the purpose of it. It's for right here, right now. Uh, oh, in case we missed it, at the end of the book, Jesus, chapter 22, verse 7, as he is wrapping the, this up, Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. Now, you hear coming soon. That was in like 2,000 years ago. God has a different definition of soon than you and I do. Um, Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in the book, which means don't get overwhelmed, don't get sucked in, don't get threatened by persecution and temptation. That's the why. If you forget everything else I say today, and you probably will because football games are on and all that, don't forget that. Now, some of the details here of the who, when, where, what, and all that. Who writes this? It's John. John's one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, John was... As far as we know from church history, uh, was one of the was the last of the twelve disciples to die. Uh, they tried to kill him and torture him to death by boiling him alive in oil, and it didn't work. So they put him on an island off the coast of today, what's modern day Turkey, off the west coast of modern day Turkey. So that's the who, the the where is the island of Patmos. Here's a map. I'll come up here on the screen. You can see it there. Uh, those of you know where Turkey is in the world today, that's modern-day Turkey. It's in the Bible. It's called Asia Minor. And uh, where is Patmos? Uh, Patmos, when we hear that, they th you would maybe think, okay, they tried to boil him alive in oil, so we'll now send him to an island resort for rest and recovery. Patmos is not an island resort. It's what we know from history and, 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 and what they know from people who've written about it. It was a, a place where they gathered building materials, a lot of rock and granite stuff there. So there's rock piles Stuff there. We're not sure if John maybe was having to work there too or if just exiled there. But it was a dirty, nasty, gnarly, gross, disgusting place. When it happens, when Revelation is written, there's different people have different viewpoints on this, but I think the one that makes the most sense is in 96 AD. Persecution has been part of what's been going on. We've read about it in the book of Acts in our last series we just did where there's opposition persecution. But now in the last few years it's starting to escalate significantly up. You'll know the names of one of these guys that escalated persecution, not just of Christians, but of everybody, this reign of terror in his empire, Nero and Domitian. Domitian especially is probably the emperor right now and going out there trying to wipe out the cause of Christ. It's not his only focus. He's just a demented, psychotic ruler who wants to kill everybody who threatens him and who won't swear allegiance to him. Now, the when is also important here too, not just for when it was written, but a lot of questions come up with Revelation are like, okay, so when is all this gonna happen? What's the time frame? What's the timeline of that? And uh, great theologians and godly men and women have written about this. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that today and in the weeks ahead. There's all kinds of things written in about that is, is your perspective preacherist, historicist, or futurist? Some of you are going blindest. I don't know. Um, there's the questions, are we, are we as a church, what's our position? Are we 
uh, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial when it comes to the thousand year end of Christ. We'll get to that at the end of Revelation. We're also going to take a look at, uh, they, 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 people ask questions about the rapture. When Jesus comes back and the Christians are all caught up to go meet him, are we pre trib, post trib, mid trib? Uh, and we're not going to spend a great deal of time on that in this series. If you came to our church hoping I would answer those questions for you, prepare to be supremely disappointed. Because the purpose of Revelation is to inspire faithfulness to Jesus in the midst right now of persecution and opposition and temptation. So here, write this down. Revelation is not a secret code to be cracked. Uh, oftentimes, uh, when I was growing up and read books, I went to a Christian college and we studied Revelation, you would have people that wrote about it. And these are good, godly men and women. So I'm not saying this is bad, but it felt like, well, man, you've got to read all these Old Testament prophecies, get them all lined up, and then all this historical stuff over here, and get this lined up and this lined up. And like Revelation becomes like an escape room. Anybody ever done an escape room? You know, it's like, right? You do the escape, if you crack the code and get it all lined up, boom, and it all comes open for you. Nobody else can figure it out except like three or four people that are smart that figure it out. It's not a secret code to be cracked. And uh, I know this because Jesus told us this. Find in your Bibles, go back to the left of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and he's telling them, hey, I'm gonna go away, but someday, some day in the future, I'm gonna come back again and the kingdom of God will, will, will be fulfilled in all of, its, all of its glory. And he gives this idea of like all these crazy things are gonna happen. Natural disasters, supernatural signs and wonders, crazy stuff's gonna happen. Matthew 24, verse 36. However, no one knows the day or hour. You know what no one means? No one. When these things will happen, not even the angels who are in heaven with God or, and this freaks me out, the son himself. You know what that means? If Jesus don't know when he's coming back, you don't have any idea either. Now, I don't know what that does to your theology because if God knows everything and Jesus is God, I, but there's some things that Jesus doesn't know, at least while he's here on earth. If Jesus doesn't know, we're wasting our time trying to figure it out. And then, because the disciples are dumb, and so are we sometimes, not you. Acts chapter one, Jesus has died and risen, uh, risen again, and he's around the earth for about 30 or 40 days after he has risen again. And it tells, tells us here in Acts chapter one, verse six. So, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. Any of you have kids like this? They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? What they want to know is, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? When's the when's second coming? When's this, the, the end of the world and all that going to happen? And Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates. In times, and they are not for you to know, but you'll receive power to live the Christian life and be witnesses for me. That's the focus of what it's all about. So that's the, the who, the where, some discussion about when. Let's look at the, now about the what question, like what this Revelation book is. Because some of the confusion around Revelation is not understanding the kind of literature that we're reading. There's, it's, it's three different kinds of literature. You, you can go back in Revelation and see this. It tells us in Revelation chapter one, verse one, it says, this is a revelation. That word there is apocalypse. So the, the kind of literature this is, apocalyptic literature. So you're going, what does that mean? Think about really 
super graphic novels or, or gra those graphic comic book kind of novels full of grotesque, crazy, bizarre imagery. It's apocalyptic literature. Uh, and when we hear the word apocalypse, we think like, right, doom and gloom and the horseman apocalypse and all these crazy, nasty, naughty things are gonna happen because of how it's connected here in Revelation. Really all apocalypse means is pull back the curtain. It just means you're seeing things out here. Let me pull back the curtain for you and show you the nature of what's really going on. And apocalyptic literature, both in the Bible and outside the Bible is always filled with graphic, crazy imagery. I mean, if you didn't know better, once you read Revelation, I want to encourage you, uh, as they're talking to somebody before church today, they actually said, I, you're doing this Revelation series? I actually did this thing and read Revelation. I said, well, you're ahead. Read it. And every week we're going to give you an assignment so that you come here with the pump primed so you're not just hearing all this stuff for the first time. So next week, read Revelation 2 and 3. Sometime during this week, take a couple times and read through Revelation chapter two and three. Uh, but if you don't know any better, as you read through Revelation, you're gonna think, man, John was on Patmos and there were some mushrooms there. <laughs> They're psychotic, bizarre, and some of you did mushrooms going, yeah, I thought the same thing when I read it. Um, it's crazy stuff that's going on there. And I wanna tell you, my particular perspective is, uh, is that most of what we see here is intended to be seen as symbolic, not literal. And it's not saying that it's not true, it's just saying the kind of literature this is, is it, well, because look at it. It tells us here that when Jesus shows up to John on the island of Patmos, all these crazy eyes, long like the sun, all that, and it says, and he had a sword coming out of his mouth. Jesus does not have a sword coming out of his mouth in heaven someday. He's not gonna talk and go, coming. what he's telling us here, it's the nature of the kind of communication, that Jesus' communication is powerful and amazing. Um, it's designed to move our soul, not just to inform our mind. One of the books that I read and studied on this is that book, uh, Discipleship on the Edge by Daryl Johnson. It, the quote will come up here on the screen. It says this, imagery has the power to go deeper than mere words. Just ask the television advertising specialists. Imagery has the power to hook us deep inside. Images can quickly and effectively convey that which we struggle to put into words. Imagery goes beyond the intellect and through the emotions into the imagination, grabbing hold of us at the deepest recesses of our being. Imagery slowly but surely works on the intellect and emotions, changing the way that we see and hear and feel reality. That's the reason for all this, this crazy imagery here, not to figure out, well, what's that head on that beast mean? I mean, that, that, is that John F. Kennedy or is that Barack Obama or Donald Trump or who, who knows? We, we do that crazy stuff out there. That's not what it's there for. It's to tell us something about the nature of the beast, the nature of evil, the nature of God uh, by, by giving us these great graphic images. And it's also, it tells us here, it says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now in our language, we hear the word, from is a preposition, Sometimes prepositions are important. In, in our language, the word of and from are kind of connected together, but they're spelled differently, right? Not a trick question. Of course they are. In the Greek language, the word of and from are spelled exactly the same way, and the context determines how you should interpret it. And so the big question is, is this the right revelation of Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Jesus is, maybe write, write this down. It's, Jesus is the 
source of the revelation. He is giving John these visions, but he's also the central character in it. It is not the revelation of the Antichrist and to figure out what the mark of the beast might be or to figure out the schedule of the end times. The revelation is to help us see Jesus clearly. And if you get into all the details and say you cracked the code on Revelation and you know when second coming is going to happen, it's going to be in the middle of tribulation after these kind of things. You know who the two witnesses are. You know who the mark of the beat, what the mark of the beast. You, you get that all figured out and, you're not, and, and, and you have missed Jesus and all that. You missed the whole dang point of why John put this down for us, why Jesus gave John this revelation. So it's apocalyptic in nature. It's also prophetic in nature. And prophecy when we think about prophecy, we tend to think more about predicting the future, right? It's a prophetic thing of prophecy of the future. And that certainly is part of what happens here in Revelation. But usually in the Bible especially, prophetic communication is more about proclamation than it is just prediction. So it's prediction and proclamation. But now when it comes down to this, when it comes down to Revelation, and, and the, even the prophetic parts of it that predict the future... We would be wise to keep in mind, somebody uh, told me, I I'm married to her, she told me this one time, we were talking about this. Like, okay, so when Jesus showed up here, you, you look at all the prophecies that are in Isaiah and Micah, like, and you look at those people and go, what was wrong with those people? Because the people that were the smartest people that had memorized the Bible missed Jesus. You go, how could they have missed him? You know why we think that? Because we're looking at, at it in foresight we're looking at it in hindsight, and we can see how it all lines up. I think the same things that happen in Revelation. I think we're trying to get everything all figured out here, and we're going to go, gosh, how did we miss that? Well, because we just, it's not intended to be all figured out. Uh, a guy named Rodney Stark, not Tony Stark, Iron Man, but the Rodney Stark, uh, wrote a book uh, about this and talked about this idea of the, of, of the prophetic declarations about the Messiah. I think it'd be important for us to understand this in terms of us trying to figure out the specifics of the predictive elements of prophecy. Jewish people, he said, some expected a serene and spiritual Messiah who would accomplish his mission in miraculous fashion. But many more expected a fierce and invisible warrior Messiah who would destroy the pagan nations. The apocryphal Psalms of Solomon pray that God will send the Messiah to purge Jerusalem from Gentiles, to smash the arrogance of sinners like a potter's jar, to destroy the unlawful nations with the word of his mouth. The Jews who wrote the scrolls found at Qumran, these are the Dead Sea Scrolls found in the 60s, even anticipated two Messiahs, anointed priests, anointed king. You know why they did that? Because the prophecies talk about that the Messiah would be a priest, and a king. It also said he would be a suffering servant and a conquering king. How it, it has to be two different people. Well, we look at it now and go, well, it's obvious it was Jesus. Wouldn't have been obvious in that moment. So don't try to get it all figured out. It's prophetic. And the big prophetic message of Revelation is this. It's there on your trail guide here. It's one of the most important things to keep in mind. Things are not as they seem. Because Jesus is risen and Jesus is king. Not someday will be right here, right now. But can we just take a poll real quick in the house today? In the world we live in right now, does it feel like Jesus is king and Jesus is ruling and everything's going great? Anybody? If you are, please come talk to me. I want to find out how you, if you figure out some secret to this. But um, over and over again in Revelation, we're going to see 
It, it kind of ping-pongs back and forth. It'll be over here for a chapter or two about all hell's breaking loose, the horsemen of the apocalypse and these bold judgments and cataclysmic crazy stuff going on down here and then back over to here to heaven. You know what's happening in heaven? Jesus is seated on his throne. You know what that means? He won. The Romans, when they would come into town, they would have the big victory parade and they took over town. You know what the Caesar would do? Sit down. I'm in charge here. I got this. Jesus is not having to go, oh my God, freaking out. Or, or oh my me. Maybe he'd say not, oh my God. Um, but <laughs> all that, all that and more is going on. Jesus is not freaking out. He goes, hey, I know it seems overwhelming. The persecution, the temptation, it feels like, you, you, it feels like we're losing. We're not losing, but things aren't as they seem. That's why he, he, it's an apocalypse, apocalyptic prophecy. He peels back the curtain, rolls it back to help us see uh, the reality of how things are, are really going on. And again, it's not a secret code to crack. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a deep dive and figuring out the details of end times uh, specifics. Um, but we miss the whole point when we do it. And here's why, because the third kind of literature that it is, it's not just apocalyptic literature and it's not just a prophetic kind of literature. It, John, we get it in the first few verses. Jesus tells John, write a letter. And not a letter to the people in the 21st century to help them crack the code on end times. You know the letter's written to? To seven churches, to people in seven churches in the first century. Which means, it's here on your trail guide too, write it down today. It cannot mean for us today what it could not mean for them back there. Because if all it is is a revelation of some time way off in the future, he wouldn't have sent it to them. Like, what kind of psychotic, bizarre God would it be to go, hey guys, read this letter. It's not about you or for you. It's about something 2,000, 3,000 years from now. No, it's about inspiring faithfulness right here, right now. And so the end is not just someday out in the future. The end is right here, right now. Jesus tells, uh, Peter tells us in the first sermon at Pentecost, he says, you know when the end time started? When Jesus rose from the dead. The end times are not out there somewhere. End times are right here, right now. It's a letter. Uh, it means to stay faithful. It's, it's designed to give us this imagery to help inspire us, to help us understand the nature of evil, which again, we have this, the beasts and these false prophets and these crazy gargantuan images. He doesn't just tell us, well, it's a political leader. He describes him as a beast because it's beast-like. And he's like, it's, it's gonna crush you and overwhelm you and feel overpowering. And he's also gonna tell us in chapter 19, I think it is, it shifts the focus from being the beast. You know what it shifts to? A whore. No, I didn't make that word up. It's actually the word John uses. And he says, and this prostitute that I saw, she is hot. She is beautiful and seductive, telling us the world we live in is so beautiful and so seductive. And we feel like we just can get so easily sucked into all of that. That's a quick flyby overview of Revelation. Now, what I want to take some time to do every week with you is not just talk about Revelation and the particular details of it, but to give you some implications, some things to take home. So here's today, because John's on the island of Patmos, here's some reminders from the rocks, the rock pile he was on, on Patmos. When you think about encountering and experiencing God, what kind of places does that, do you think where people encounter and experience God? Nature? I was in Hawaii last week. It was man, the sunsets and the, I mean, we were at this one restaurant, crazy, you couldn't believe it. 
You can feel the presence of God there. Sometimes it's in a church or a cathedral with beautiful music, all of that. It's all kinds of places where we encounter, we think we are going to encounter and experience God. Uh, For you, it might be different places. You know where John experiences and encounters God? On a pile of dirty, nasty rocks. Unexpected, unexpected encounters, unlikely encounters. Write this down here. Sometimes we encounter God in the dirty, ugly places. And I I don't vote for dirty, ugly places. I like pristine, beautiful beaches in Hawaii. Put yourself in John's place here today. Faithfully followed Jesus, tortured, boiled in oil, on a freaking pile of rocks. What am I doing here? Some of you that are here today are in a dirty, ugly, nasty place right now. I know that because I know particular stories of some of you here, and I don't even know all your stories. I want to tell you right now, perhaps this is the place, and I hear the stories of people over and over again where that's where they, they've learned to encounter Jesus. That God showed up in such a profound, beautiful, amazing way, like happens here for John here on this pile of rocks, wondering what's going on. And again, this revelation is not just from Jesus, it's a revelation of Jesus. So he sees, he encounters Jesus there. Not just all the, the things about what's coming for us uh, at, at the, in these end times. He sees this beautiful, amazing picture of Jesus refined like fire, voice thundering, sword coming out of his mouth, whatever it says. And when I saw him, look at verse 17, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. We have today in our culture, our, especially in Californian culture, American culture, Western culture, there's some good things about it that Jesus is our personal savior and that Jesus wants, invites us into this friendship relationship with God. But, but personal doesn't mean casual, guys. Amen. And we're gonna see some terrifying things in Revelation, these beasts and people get freaked about Satan and demons, ah, freaked out. You know who the most terrifying being in Revelation is? Jesus. Jesus is absolutely terrifying. Write that down. No, stay with me. Don't tune out on me because there's good news in this. Uh, some of you, <laughs> I thought, I've thought this. Uh, I've been in small group. People have said this kind of thing. Uh, and I think God just pats us in the head and goes, oh, you're so cute and so funny. And like, you'll grow up someday. Someday you'll figure this out. But you ever thought this thing or said this thing like, you know, someday when I get to heaven, I've got a few things I'm going to ask God about. I'm going to sign up there and go, I'm going to, God, you owe me an explanation. I got this confusing thing, this hand in my life, from the Bible. And people, you've, I've said that. I've, I've said it because I've got things I want to ask him about. Can I, tell you right, can I tell you right now? You're not sauntering up to Jesus when you get there someday. <laughs> going, hey, pal. You're not doing that. In fact, you might walk in past the pearly gates and see Jesus. It might kill you. John says, I saw Jesus. And I thought, I, he said, I later on realized I wasn't dead because I woke up, but I thought I was dead. I, it, it, about, it killed me to stand in his presence. But here's what you got to see. Look what comes next. 
I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and last. I'm the beginning and the end. And then he says this. I have this underlined in my Bible. And I got the keys. You know what the keys are for? The keys are like your purpose for your life, the stuff that frustrates you, the things you have questions and answers and what's going on here. He says the ultimate thing that comes against us that nobody's figured out is death and the grave. He says, I got the keys for those. The things that freak you out the most and terrify you the most, I got the keys for that. Some of us today need to encounter God and need to sober up a little bit and not being so flippant and casual with our God. But some of us, oftentimes, um, our, our dads did the best they could. But for some of us, we had dads that were either distant and kind of withdrawn from us, or they scared the hell out of us. And so it's hard for us to hear today that Jesus is absolutely terrifying. But I want you to write this down today. Jesus is also absolutely tender. Because if you're at a place right now, some of you need to hear this today. Some of you, uh, we're going to sing some songs in a bit. Last week, Justin has come down here and write some things down. Some of you need some business with God and just sit here and just be in the presence of God here at the altar, here at the, at the steps here today. And for some of you, are in a place where your image of God is like, oh, I'm so scared of him. I don't want to make him mad or freak him out or anything. Like, oh, I'm just like this with God. Maybe what God needs to do for you today is go, hey, put his right hand on you and go, hey, don't be afraid. I got you. I got you. He's absolutely terrifying and absolutely tender. And I don't get how all those things work together, but we have to have both of those things working in dynamic tension with each other. And this is the first revelation that we get of Jesus here. He wants us to know Know who you're dealing with, but you don't have to walk in abject terror of me because I'm for you and I'm with you. And he puts his right hand on us and says, don't be afraid. I got the keys. The band's gonna come up right now. We're gonna sing some songs together and we're gonna sing some songs. We're gonna sing some great songs. I want you to sing in, in the idea of celebrating the greatness and the goodness and the power of God encountering and experiencing Jesus together today. Uh, our prayer team is at the back of the house today. Some of you came today and you are in your life right now on a pile of rocks, it feels like. You're in a crappy, dirty, ugly, nasty place right now. Don't just hold on to that. Don't just be the suck it up kind of Christian because sucking up just sucks. It just does. Go talk to someone. Let them just pray for you. Minister grace and peace and healing to you today. Here in the place. Then we're going to give you a chance to come and receive communion in the four corners of the room. It's bread and it's juice symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus for us. And here's what I love. We're going to sing a song today called, it's an old song called How Great Thou Art. A lot of you will probably know it. It gives us this big majestic picture of God, terrifying, powerful, amazing, freak you out, scare you. And then it says this, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die scarce can take it in. That's what we celebrate in communion today. So Jesus, today, as we sing, as we remember and celebrate your death for us, 
God, whatever it is we need by your spirit right here, right now, we're just saying yes to whatever that might be.